Welcome to 20 Minute Health Talk, where some of the brightest minds in healthcare help us break down the latest news and developments. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and today we're joined by three very special guests. We're with Michael Dowling, the president and CEO of Northwell Health, Mangala Nara Simhan, who is the Senior Vice President and Director of Critical Care Services for the health system. And we have Sandra Lindsay, who is the first person in the United States to get the vaccine. She is also the Director of Critical Care at LIJ Medical Center. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're at the one year anniversary from when Northwell had its first COVID patient. Tell us what this last year has been like. Well, uh, let me begin. And I'm delighted to be here with Mangala and Sandra. Um, two very, very, very special people indeed, and that we're very fortunate to have as part of our team at Northwell. So it's hard to believe it's been 12 months. And, uh, you know, last night I was thinking about this time last year. Uh, this time last year, we didn't have any cases. Uh, we were in our um, emergency management command center planning to what we would do uh, when we got cases, which we assume we would. And I remember... Um, well, the beginning of March, it started slowly, began to increase at the end of March, and then just went crazy at the beginning of April. And uh, who would have imagined uh, this time last year, or even after we got our first few cases, that on April 6th, we would have over 3,400 COVID patients in our hospitals, and uh, that we would have to completely reconfigure almost everything we did and were doing to accommodate that. But looking back on it, I think that we did this quite well, that we're very, very fortunate not well because of the people we've got. And um, two of the people here with me, as I mentioned at the beginning, are two of the people that we're so proud of. So right now we're in a good position and I feel good about what we did over the past 12 months. Yeah, Mangala and Sandra, you were on the front lines of this pandemic in the early days. Tell us about the fear and tell us about how you were able to cope and manage as more information became available and from the support you got from Northwell Health. Uh, I'll start, Sandra, if that's okay. Um, we uh, definitely were, we were thinking that we were ready. We were on in talks with the people in China and what they'd experienced. We had several conference calls with Italy and what they had experienced. And somehow we thought that we were different here in New York and it wouldn't be as bad and our health system was better. And then we thought we were ready to go and we started getting the first cases and we started planning and, and surge spaces and how are we going to build out our ICUs over time and, you know, plan for 20, 30% increase. Uh, and we had all these worst case scenarios that we were planning for that all of us thought were ridiculous and that we would never get to that point. And then I remember at some point in the end of March, that uh, all of our ICUs were filled. We were looking for spaces that were not traditional ICU spaces. And just remember thinking, how did we get here? Um, but we did it. And every day people came to work and they put their heads down and did what we had to do and took care of hundreds of ICU patients that we normally would not take care of. Very sick, critically ill. Uh, we had lots of teams that were not critical care trained that were helping us take care of these patients. And um, our teams would go around bed to bed all through every hospital and check on vents and round with the teams. And uh, what they did was absolutely remarkable to me that we did the best we could to take care of thousands of patients over a very short period of time. Our buildup was within two weeks, we were up to our peak um, and we just kept, kept building out space and building out space and trying to figure out ventilators and trying to figure out supplies and medications. Everything was in shortage at that time. 
And our teams just did it. And uh, I'm very, very proud of what they did. I think it was the hardest thing that any of them have ever had to do. Um, but they took care of people and they did a great job and they took care of each other. Um, and we came through this in a way that that um, most places would not have been able to do. So we have a lot to be proud of. Absolutely. Um, I agree. Um, we went in, um, you know, fearful, not knowing what to expect. I remember um, going into work on March 14, 2020. That was um, a Saturday, and that's when we um, expanded to our fifth ICU. And it seemed like within two weeks, we were, we were just building out ICU spaces and building out ICU spaces. And um, Mangala and I and the team, we, we spoke regularly, um, just putting our heads together to see how we're going to do this. And um, I have to commend the team and the teamwork and the resources from the health system. We never ran out of PPE. We got staff in. We got everything that we needed. And, um, you know, as Mangala said, we took care of ourselves and we took care of each other. But it was it was very challenging. You know, what's interesting, we were fighting the unknown. It's one thing to have a strategy and a plan and um, uh, make all these preparations for something that, and you know, you know a lot about what's going to happen. But in this circumstance, uh, we know very little about the virus. We didn't know its impact and how it affected people and how many what organs of the body it affected. And so you're 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 searching for answers as you're in the middle of the crisis. And that's where our clinical advisory group, our medical leadership, uh, that were in constant uh, meetings daily to come up with new information and share new information once we found out something worked someplace, we transferred it to another place. And, and that was essentially the way it worked all through the month of April, if I remember. Um, and, um, but when you get smart people, committed people, putting their heads together to come up with the best results, you know, a lot of people right now will go back and second guess, but um, this is like Monday morning quarterbacking. I mean, you know, a lot of people that are now second guessing a lot of things that went on during the crisis, they were not in the playing field, they were not in the game. Um, they were on the outside. Um, and, uh, but when you're on the inside and you're there each and every day, you make the best decisions at the moment when you have the information that you, as limited as it might be that you have. And I believe looking back on it, that we made, uh, the best decisions that we could make at the time, given the circumstances and the context. Yeah. Michael, you just mentioned there were a lot of unknowns in the beginning of this pandemic and Sandra and Mangala, they had to be there on the front lines because they were needed. They had to be there. But you also went, you also toured the ICUs. This was an extremely dangerous thing. Why was it important for you to be there in these hospitals, in these facilities at a, such a scary time? Why was it important for you to be there to support these employees? Well, I, I believe firmly that you cannot expect uh, people to be out there uh, on the front lines doing heroic work if you're not willing to go out there yourself and see what's going on and meet, meet with the people, talk to the people, get an understanding on the ground. Um, you, you can't just stay in your office or in some isolated place someplace else and issue directives and pretend that you know what's going on. Um, I, I had to be out there every day. I was in every hospital, pretty much in every ICU. And, uh, and to me, it, it helped me to understand what was going on. It also helped me under and appreciate 
extra, extraordinary people that we've got and the extraordinary circumstances that we're in, struggling to keep people alive and dealing with a situation in which you didn't have normal treatments at that point. You didn't know what exactly to do. So it was, um, it was for me a lesson. I will never forget it. I will never forget walking through one of the ICUs. I think it was at LIJ uh, when, uh, you know, most of the patients were intubated. And I never, the thing that I recall, and I've said this numerous times before, was the quiet. It was eerily quiet because normally when you walk to a floor, there's noise. But the, the, the staff was speaking softly. Of course, they were all gowned and masked up. And no noise, no families, nothing. And that, that is, a, that is a, re a recollection that I have, the quiet. I, I, I think you being there gave people confidence. Everybody was afraid to come to work. Everybody was afraid their PPE wasn't working. And the ICU was the scariest place because we were putting, we were intubating people, putting, doing bronchoscopies, and we didn't know what we were getting. But to see you there sort of said, okay, if he can be here, we can be here. So I think that was very important that you, you came to the ICUs and you were there. It was easy for me to, because I, you know, I could pass by, walk by, meet people and then leave. But, you know, I, you know, you, the staff that were there hours on end, you know, extended shifts, um, you know, given it's important to remember, given that their family circumstance, the, the fear that existed at the time going home at night uh, with kids and other family members. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I've always respected uh, frontline employees uh, like Mangala and, and Sandra and, and of course their leaders and their group. Um, but being through this crisis, I mean, the respect just is heightened enormously. I mean, we should never forget who the true heroes are here. And um, Mr. Dowling, just thank you again for, for being there and being visible. Um, that's, what, that's the kind of leadership we need in a crisis, um, for people to see you and know that you care. Um, for me personally, um, I was afraid of getting ill, um, not knowing how I would end up. Would I end up in my, one of my ICU beds? But I was also afraid because if I couldn't be there, I would feel so guilty because I know that visibility is very, very important. Even if you're not doing anything, just being there um, for staff to see you is incredibly important. I think what's also important, uh, Sandra, is um, there's a lot of talk about um, you know, the people who died and, and which is, of course, um, a terrible circumstance for all of those families. But it's important to remember the, the thousands and thousands of people who were saved um, and because there's so much often on the negative. Um, you know, we wish that nobody died, but uh, that the, through the heroic work of the staff and people like you, Sandra and Mangala, people walked home, left, and came back to their families. Um, and of course, you know, the other thing that was extraordinary and still is, families couldn't come to the facility. I mean, you know, that was a whole other dimension that we've never experienced before. And no matter how bad it is, your heart disease is, or you, have, you need transplant families visit. In this circumstance, and they were not able to, and that circumstance continues to this day. So it causes a lot of as a difficult circumstance for the families as well. I think that was one of the hardest things for us because normally we can round with the families, round with the, the, the caregivers, and we couldn't do that. So all of the information was 
difficult to transmit. We were doing FaceTime. We were doing all of these things, but nothing takes the place of having family members at the bedside. So that was a, a, an added burden. People in the ICUs felt that they took that burden on themselves to be the caregivers for all of these people. So um, that was that that's, is still to this day making things challenging. But you guys came up with extraordinary ways of communicating with the families. You did Skype. You did other. I mean, I remember um, even one of the hospitals, and I maybe think it was LIJ, where the nurses put, um, uh, their, put their faces yes. on their yes. yeah. badge yes. so that uh, the staff could recognize yes. the face because everybody was masked. So you're kind of like, you know, they can't really see you. But uh, I, I found that to be extraordinary that people came up with all of these, they, these creative ways of doing things a little differently, which is what crisis brings out in everybody. Innovation comes out. Yes. I think you mentioned something earlier about the fact that we didn't know how to treat this virus. And I think that was important because that was one of the real frustrations of the care, the doctors and the, the nurses at the bedside, that everything we tried, we weren't sure if it was going to work or not. We weren't sure if intubating them was the right thing or not. So we had all these, these um, usually we know what to do. We have antibiotics, we have treatments, we know what to, when to intubate people. So all of those decisions were were difficult decisions because we didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And that was another added burden on on the caregivers because there was clinical trials and there was which medications do we use um, and the struggle of hundreds of patients in front of us and what do we do next um, every day was a question that we we asked each other so that and, and we were trying to connect with people around the country and around the world trying to find the right answers very quickly for these patients um, so Sandra do you agree that that was another very hard part of this absolutely and caused a lot of moral distress for people um, because, you know, um, usually you're able to figure it out. You have a diagnosis and you're able to, to um, put interventions in place, but it just seemed like everything you'd put into place, it didn't work. And we weren't seeing the outcomes like we're used to seeing. We're, you know, at LIJ, high functioning ICUs and we're, we're used to good outcomes and we weren't seeing that. And so it was really distressing for people. But I just want to um, go back to what Mr. Dowlin said about, um, you know, the thousands of lives that we saved. I think that's very important to note. And um, we continue to see patients come back or share with us or on social media just how they're doing. And it's just very uplifting for the staff to see that. I think what was also great during all the trials and tribulations was to be able to celebrate the wins. I thought it was such an amazing thing. When somebody was released from the hospital, the overhead speaker would play, Here Comes the Sun. How great was it to hear those songs and how important was it for staff to hear that song, knowing that people were being discharged, that people were going home and going back to their lives? How did that help morale? Um, people looked forward to hearing it. it. It felt like we were making progress. Um, and that's what people wanted to, to feel like we were making progress. And I, I was in, um, many of the hospitals when the, at, during those moments and you, you, you just observe success in action mm -hmm. and the, the humanity of it all was just extraordinary. And, um, you know, that, I remember the day, I think it was Elijah had a thousand discharge. Yes. Mm -hmm. We celebrated um, that day. We celebrated yeah. that day. And, uh. You know, those are the those are the memories that you carry with you, 
and um, and and the good the good parts of the experience. The community There's, support yeah. we had, right. you know, the yeah. community out there every day, and the food that was brought to the, the staff, yeah. and the cheering of the, you know, the community support was phenomenal, and it really kept us going as well. Yeah, I was wondering Absolutely. how much right. weight gain people had exactly. <laughs> during true. the crisis because everywhere you true. went, there was food. Yeah. 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 but people yeah. felt. Yeah. supported and loved right. you know it was a very nice yeah. feeling that yeah. uh, that we were supported through that um yeah. difficult time yeah now the public was extraordinary the clap outs at night at yes. seven o'clock and uh, people leaning out their windows in manhattan when i was there one night at lennox hill and i remember being at lij when the police came and yes. they had this yes. big police yes um event and uh you know the trust that the the the, the public communicated regarding their appreciation of what um, healthcare employees did and are doing is extraordinary. And we became an, an unbelievable community resource. Mm-hmm. It just demonstrates how important healthcare is in the community. Absolutely. And many people that were skeptical about hospitals and skeptical about healthcare, I believe, during this period, began to appreciate its importance. And our, our task going forward now is to retain that trust. Yes, um, right. And not forget. It meant a lot. That was a very important part of the whole thing. And of course, right now, uh, right now, uh, Sandra, you know, well, and I do a lot of stuff overseas and everything. And it doesn't matter who I talk to. Everybody knows Sandra. Yes. Yes. I mean, all over the world. I mean, um, uh, doing a spectacular job. I mean, you are the face of healthcare. You're the face of success. Um, and have been doing a fantastic and job. And if that helps bring the vaccine to more people, then yeah. that it's Absolutely. all worth it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. means I've made a change and yes. that's, that's all I want to make positive changes. Yeah, that was such a big turning point. Sandra, why was it so important for you to be the first person to get the vaccine, to do it on a national and international stage and be the face of hope? Well, it's several reasons, right? To um, Being a nurse, uh, my professional responsibility, um, my civic responsibilities, in a crisis to um, try and find a solution. Um, just seeing how many people were suffering, were dying, were hurting, the staff hurting, the fears, my personal fear, and also to instill public confidence, um, particularly among um, people of color who are not trusting of the healthcare system and not trusting of vaccine because of historical events. So it, it was incredibly important for me um, to take the vaccine, um, not knowing that I would be the first in the, in New York state and, um, the United States, but, you know, I'm, I'm honored and and grateful to have the platform to be able to speak to people and share my experiences. And if I, if I get one person who was on the fence or hesitant about taking the vaccine to change their mind, then that's a success for me. I think, let me just add that I do think it's important uh, for everybody that listens to this, that the importance of taking the vaccine is huge. Um, it is part of the resolution of this crisis. It's our ticket back to normalcy. Yeah. 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 And I know that I understand the hesitancy among some people, uh, but I do think that is a moral duty here to not only protect yourself, protect your family, protect your neighbors and your friends. And uh, the vaccine is one of the better ways we can, have it, if it is safe, it has been developed. The science is the right is behind it is correct. Uh, it was done properly, and uh, as everybody knows, we are now vaccinating 
a lot of people, almost over 50,000 of our employees have been vaccinated. And we hope that that number goes higher and higher and higher. So uh, I know Sandra and, and Mangala, you've been out there talking about the importance of getting the vaccine. And I think we got to communicate this more over and over and over again. This is part of the resolution of getting out of this crisis and keeping us safe. And if you're worried about what the vaccine might do to you, then remind, then think about what it's like to walk through an ICU during the height of the crisis. That's what I tell everybody. When you compare yes, that absolutely. to yes. a little bit of discomfort in your arm if you get the vaccine, that's a minor issue in my view. I think if people could see what was happening in those ICUs, they would change their mind about the vaccine. It's, it's, uh, it's really the best thing you can do. It's our, it's our best defense sure. against um, this virus. Each one of you are heroes in your own right, but who are some of the unsung heroes that you saw that people don't know about? Tell us about those heroes. Well, I have a couple of experiences I had that I will never forget. And um, I was, uh, it happened uh, very vividly twice. I was in the ICU, walking through the ICU, meet this staff nurse um, who, um, talking about what it was like on the unit at that moment. The person asked a selfie to be taken. Uh, and then um, I'm moving, walking away and the supervisor comes up to me and said, um, that nurse you were just with, uh, his father just died uh, in the floor of us a few minutes ago from COVID. So I walked back to the nurse and I said, um, uh, my, you know, sympathies, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, you know, I made a comment about, I assumed that the person was going to, you know, leave. He said to me, no, I stay with my team. I finish my shift. That's my obligation. That happened in another place as well, another hospital, uh, where the person's mother died. And I'm sure Angela and Sandra have stories like that. But those are the kinds of things that you, you get a true reflection of the humanity, but also the commitment to work and to their team. And that, um, that, that uh, experience just clearly demonstrates. So for me, it's hard to choose one person. Um, I would have to say to my entire critical care team um, who, went above and beyond the sacrifices they made, the people who stayed back after their shift to hold someone's hand while they were dying because they did not want them to die alone. The people that um, came in early to make FaceTime calls um, to patients' families, um, just those heroic efforts that I'll, I'll never, ever forget. So I would say to the entire critical care team that just kept coming to work, just kept coming to work every single day to make a difference, despite carrying their own individual burdens. Those are all my heroes. I'll, I'll echo what Sandra said. There's hard to find one. I will point out people who I think are really unsung, the procurement team. Um, Every night we would have a meeting at six or seven o'clock and we would discuss where the hotspots were around the health system. 
Um, we had a limited number of ventilators. We wanted to make sure every single patient always had a ventilator. Um, and we said, today, Forest Hills is burning and the ER is, is burning up and they may need more ventilators than they have on supply. And at night, the procurement team would drive those ventilators to the hotspots so that every single patient had what they needed. Um, and no one ever talks about them, but they went above and beyond every single day and they were life-saving in what they did. And there were hundreds of people in the ICUs that stayed late and came early and came in, you know, when they weren't feeling well or when their family members were ill. But the procurement team, I, I, in my mind, were, were true. Uh, every night I stayed up worrying that, that we weren't going to have what we needed in these places. And they took care of that. And they made sure that we did every single day. So um, no one knows what they did, but they, uh, they went above and beyond feeding tubes, feeding machines, um, you know, ventilators, um, antibiotics were driven at night by these people themselves so that they would be where they needed to be. Um, that's just one example. I could give you 20 more of people who went above and beyond every single day, but that's one. The janitors, I mean, they went into these COVID rooms where there was blood and, and, and all kinds of stuff all over the room and without fear. Their N95s were on and they went in and they worked double shifts and they made sure that the rooms were what they needed to be so that we could take care of these patients um, every single day. And, and I know people um, know that they're heroes, but... But I saw it in action every day when those when those ICUs were a disaster and we were taking care of so many patients. They went above and beyond and did what they needed to do. Um, and we could go on and on, but I think there's so many people in those in those units that, that really stepped up and were superhuman. Obviously, this pandemic affected you significantly at work, but outside of work, how did this pandemic affect you personally? How did it change your home life? Well, I think, uh, you know, COVID has changed our perspective on a lot of things. And I think um, for me personally, it um, makes, you, uh, makes you appreciate how lucky you are. Um, makes you appreciate family and friends more. Uh, but it also, uh, for me, it makes me more committed and dedicated to do more tomorrow than I did yesterday. It's a motivator. Uh, you go through something like this, you realize, you realize that we're all so fragile. Uh, society is fragile. Things can change overnight. Um, but therefore, it uh, you know you have to dig deep down and say that you know you're going to just do better and do more and do it differently going forward. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I lost an aunt um, in one of our hospitals um, to COVID, my mom's sister. And, you know, over the couple of years, for the last three years, my mom has lost a sibling. Um, so she's she's very scared. So, um, yeah, it's it, it was incredible, incredibly hard, but... Um, I'm happy she's okay. She got vaccinated yesterday, so she feels a little safer. And um, I feel I feel better knowing that she has at least one shot on board. But for me, it's just living every day to to its fullest and um, just get excited about what you can do the next day and the next day, and just keep going. 
For me, it was a, a double challenge. I wanted to be in the ICUs every day, um, but I take care, I live with and take care of my parents who are in their late 80s. Um, and I was so scared to bring COVID home to them that I moved them out of my house in March and April um, to protect them from, from me um, because I knew that I would be bringing home all kinds of stuff. So I put them in an apartment on their own and I you know, dropped off groceries from outside the door and you know, for three months, I kept them isolated and finally brought them back. They needed my help and they needed, you know, medical care and attention. So it was only so long I could do that. But for those three months, it was very difficult. Um, I also have a daughter that's on immunosuppressants on a chronic basis. So trying to protect her from me, um, but yet still be mom, like you can only do that for so long. And then you have to go back to hugging and kissing your family and your children. So when is the right time to do that? And, you know, uh, how long do I isolate myself at home? And, you know, all of those things were uh, heavy in my mind. Um, my mom passed away recently, not of COVID, but I think that looking back, uh, it was a very hard year because we weren't what we normally would be and we weren't able to do the things that we normally would do and to see each other the way that we would. So I think it was a, a difficult year. I think it taught me a lot. Um, you know, I think it was um, a meaningful year in my life. It will change who you are. But I think it definitely had lots of challenges personally and professionally as well. We're almost at the end of our time here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And we always like to end on a positive note. So I'd like to go around the table and hear from each one of you. What gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? Well, I believe optimism is, um, uh, is huge. I mean, you have to have an optimistic viewpoint. Attitude is important. Um, you know, life throws bad things at you ever so often. And what you have to do is have your character display that is how you react to them that matters. Bad things happen is how, react, how you react to them that demonstrates your true character and commitment. And uh, I said from the very beginning, we will get over this. It's a year. But you know, when you look at a year in the context of life, it is a relatively short period of time. So people are, you know, you know interrupted, their lives are interrupted. Um, uh, a little bit inconvenience. People complain about wearing a mask and those kinds of things. But it will end. We will beat this. Uh, there is no retreat when it comes to dealing with an issue like this, especially when you're in healthcare. And healthcare organizations and healthcare staff, they deal with crisis every day. This was just a bigger one, a different one that lasted a year. And uh, we, will, we will win this. So the positive attitude, upbeat, uh, winning attitude is extremely, extremely important. And if we didn't have that attitude, we would not have been as successful as we were all during this COVID crisis. The staff that came in every day, they came in to win. I don't know anybody and I've not met anybody that came to work every day to lose. They came in to win. Every particular individual patient they met, the attitude is we're going to win. Now, when you look at the overall pandemic, we're going to win against this. The economic issues resulting from it will go on for years, but this will be over with. So optimism is absolutely core to um, and a core value that we've got to continue to play with. What, what gives me optimism is what I saw, the humanity of the people. Um, they came to work in the worst circumstances and there was so much negativity and death and they came and they were empathetic and they held patients' hands and they cried with them and they laughed with them and they celebrated with them. And in that terrible situation, you saw the best of all of our people. Um, our team came together. Northwell Health came together. We had what we needed and people went out of their ways to make sure that the ICUs had what they needed to get through the day every single day. So I really saw the best of people in the worst circumstance. So 
seeing that you can get through anything um, and you know you can. Absolutely. Um, I think optimism runs in my DNA. I always look at, at the positives. So um, I know that we will win. I know that we will win. Um, yes, it's taken longer than we expected. And I think one of the lessons I learned from this entire experience is, is patience. You know, we had, we have to be patient and, um, I think people are more resilient than they give themselves credit for. Um, so we will win. Um, we have the science behind us. We have a vaccine on board. And I do believe with, um, you know, just speaking about it and educating people that we will get more people um, vaccinated. One last point I want to make is that one of the things that gave me hope and, and, and comfort all along, and especially now as we go forward, is that all, during all these crises, we worked as a health system. With uh, all of the various components of the health system work together. Otherwise, we would not have been able to manage it as well as we did. All of the load balancing we yes. did, the redeployment of staff from various places. So when you work together, we're a big organization, but when all parts work together, all pull in the same direction, all support one another, you have a real positive team attitude, there's no obstacle that will beat you when you have that determination. And when and, and everybody got it going, as I said, in the same direction. And looking forward, I will say that I think, given this experience, we will end up being a better organization in the future. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. Our neighbors at Cohen's, I mean, they were incredible from the beginning, just being there to um, to help us through this. So talking about community and, and also the community outside, but the community among Northwell um, coming together was just incredible. I think I speak for everyone listening here that you guys are true heroes. You gave us hope and we appreciate and are proud of everything you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And for you, the viewer, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to stay safe and have a great week. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.